an ancient Permian sea monster with a saw blade in its mouth. One of the scariest predators to ever stalk the ocean with your host, Nick. And Dylan. <laughs> Prehistoric Podcast! <laughs> Coming back at you with the Prehistoric Podcast. We got your hosts, Nick. And Dylan. All right, today we got a jam-packed episode. We're going to start by talking about some corrections and new things we learned. Then we're going to move on to how the heck did crocodiles survive the Cretaceous extinction. And then we're going to finish up with our main event, which is Helicoprion, an ancient Permian sea monster with a saw blade inside its mouth. Crazy. Now, this is actually the second time we recorded this, and then the first time, I broke the news to Dylan that Tyrannosaurus Rex retook over as the biggest theropod and the largest predator to ever walk the Earth. Dylan, can you... Say why that kind of disappointed you a little bit. Because I like Spinosaurus as the largest dinosaur of all time. Well, you know, to be fair, um, Encyclopedia Britannica still has the old estimates, which were 14 to 18 meters and uh, 13 to 22 tons. But that was all based on old fossil evidence, and they found new fossils, and they've updated it. Dylan... Kind of describe how the new Spinosaurus looks compared to the old one. It has, like, a sail with, like, two bumps. And it kind of, they say it's a lot more aquatic than they previously thought it was, right? And it has, like, a fin on its tail. Yeah, its tail is real fat and finny. And kind of the tail on the Jurassic Park Dilophosaurus looked kind of like a Dimetrodon's tail. You mean sail. a sail on it's sail. That's, sorry. a Jurassic Park Spinosaurus. You said Dilophosaurus. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You and, always say Dilophosaurus. And what does the uh, sail on the new Spinosaurus look like? It's just kind of smooth, right? Yeah, and it's like a bumps. They think the sail that's on its tail was used to help it like whip through the water. Yeah. And actually, for uh, it really didn't spend much time on land at all. That's just a theory. We'll put an article in the show notes, and maybe you can make up your own mind. But the bottom line is, Tyrannosaurus Rex, 9 tons. Spinosaurus, how many tons? It's only 7 tons maximum. Yeah, well, those are the latest estimates, and we learn more stuff about dinosaurs every day. The next correction we had is from episode two. We'll do this one really quickly. But I said that um, Archaeopteryx was a transitionary species, but it's actually a transitionary form. That's the correct term. And what does that mean, transitionary form, Dylan? It just means it's like in between dinosaurs and birds. So whenever we see a transitionary form in evolution, it's just what it's between two states. Or some people like to call that the missing link. Like Protomosasaurus is the uh, 
transitional form between marine reptiles and dinosaurs or whatever. No, it'd be from more lizards. like lizards. Yeah, yeah lizards and, and, and marine reptiles. Yeah, Protos, Proto-Mosasaurus was forced into the water well, it was because... actually just Mosasaurus. Proto-Mosasaur was forced into the water to get better at swimming yeah. because dinosaurs were trying to eat it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Um, Dylan, in the last episode, was asking me what I what I meant by Microraptor being an evolutionary dead end. So I looked up the article, and it was off of Boston University, and it turns out some people think it was an evolutionary dead end. Some people think that it was it it was actually a transitional form but basically uh we noticed that it has feathers on its legs and probably did glide and are they considered wings was my question are they considered wings so they said that probably it used them for gliding and not for a powered flight like flapping but they could use them for walking or running I would guess so, yeah. I'm guessing it climbed trees with its legs and, and yeah. you know, as we saw Probably other small ran theropods. On the ground. And, you know, it was something that was evolving that way, but if we see that that it didn't evolve further and it went extinct, it's just convergent evolution that other gliders, small theropods learn to glide after that. Yeah. Um which is, you know, you'll see that happen quite a lot. You'll see different animals evolve to a state, not go anywhere, and then later, or even concurrently, other things will evolve into a similar state. So, um, the jury's out on whether that's an evolutionary dead end, but I kind of think that it probably was, because we don't see the flight feathers on the on the legs of any modern birds. Yeah. They don't need it because they have the right muscles and on their wings. And the other thing that I was got interested in was uh, Dylan wanted to know if a cassowary was actually related to an oviraptor. So what did you find out about that? Uh, it's it's not actually part of the family oviraptoridae. It is, but it maybe is a just a project of Conversion evolution. So what, can you give me another example of conversion evolution so we can explain this to the audience? Like how a penguin, a dolphin, an ichthyosaur, and a shark all evolved to swim the same way. So basically what it means is if the same, and if animals are placed in the same environment and there's a, there's an, what's called an ecological niche open, a.k.a. eating fish, then they'll eventually end up at the same sort of shapes and sizes and attributes in order to be the most efficient at eating fish. In this case, it's what? A bird? A reptile, a mammal, and a fish. <laughs> yeah. So we see across all basically groups, almost all that that covers almost all the groups of uh, animals. We see them all take a very similar shape, and that's the, you know, the most efficient shape for for getting fish in the water, right? Yeah. Uh, for hunting that size of fish. So, um, if you look at a um, 
what is the the dinosaur? The if you look up a a Coryphoraptor, Cory C O R Y T H O raptor, um, artists depict it as looking almost exactly the same as a cassowary, except what it had claws and arms. It had claws and arms, but it, they think that it, it's just convergent evolution that it sort of developed with the same traits. All right. Now, Dylan made a very insightful comment on the last episode that crocodilians really haven't evolved past how they looked way, way back, even before dinosaurs. Yeah. So, and we were wondering, how the heck did crocs survive? Um, and it apparently is their lack of evolution that has made them survive. They're already at their most efficient form, like... What are some of the reasons why, Dylan, that crocs survived the Cretaceous, uh, the Cretaceous extinction when other types of things went extinct? They can su- sustain terrible injuries. They sometimes even tear off each other's legs and they survive. When they're fighting for territory and things like that, that's crazy. Yeah. So they can heal up. All right, what's another and, reason? And surviving complete darkness was, and that was pretty much what the, at least a few years after the extinction was like. Yeah, because of all the dust cloud that was kicked up by the meteor. I yeah. think it was at least a couple That's months. That's why all the plants died. Because there wasn't any sun. Crocs also have a very slow heartbeat, and this is very key. They don't need very much oxygen to survive. And they could go without breathing for a whole hour. So basically, uh, I think this is pretty key right here, Dylan. How much food do they need? They can go for months and sometimes more than a year for without food. That's crazy. Whereas I, a dinosaur was warm-blooded, right? So it needed a lot of food. And, and I think the most important thing with the survivors of the extinction event were what was what? They didn't... Well, for... The ones that weren't crocs, they basically needed to be small. Yeah, but the one of the most important things between birds, mammals, and crocs is they didn't rely on a food chain that involved living plants. Yeah. They could eat dead plants, seeds, and like carcasses and things like that. So crocs could eat dead plants and dead animal material. They didn't rely on a living food chain. And if you look at the birds that survived... It's because they could fly away to far places to find food, and they eat bur- They didn't just need meat like pterosaurs. They could eat buried seeds and dead plants to continue to survive. Do you think, like, insects and amphibians and lizards survive the same way? Yeah, probably, and I think insects just in general are really resilient. With everything dying like insects... Um, you know, oh, another thing is, is a lot of these birds and, and mammals uh, ate insects, and they could dig up worms and eat grubs and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, they didn't re- rely on a food chain that was based on living plants exclusively. And we'll link on prehistoricpodcast.com to an article called How Did Crocodiles Survive the Asteroid That Wiped Out the Dinosaurs? If you want more details on that. Um, the last thing, and this is a trivial thing, in the last episode I was trying to think of the, uh, predecessor to, the non-avian predecessor to the Archaeopteryx, 
And I was actually thinking of Dyna... Dinonychus. Dinonychus, but actually it was Sinoceropteryx is the better example of a non-avian theropod. Wasn't it the first non-avian dinosaur discovered with feathers? I'm pretty sure Sinoceropteryx was, and uh, they they linked Sinoceropteryx to Archaeopteryx whenever they basically reclassified Archaeopteryx as a pure bird to being a theropod, and now it's considered, like I said, to be an evolutionary form. So it is a dinosaur, but is very similar to a bird. Exactly. And a fun fact, T-Rex has a wishbone, which is a bone that a bird has. Yeah, that is true. T-Rex has a giant wishbone. Look up T-Rex wishbone, and you're going to see here. We'll we'll link to one in the show notes. I think I learned that that's where the arm's connected to. Oh, that noise means it's time for our main event, Helicoprion. Dylan, I want you to tell us, just describe to the audience what this thing looked like. It looked like, a. some people think it looks like a giant shark, but it nobody actually knows for sure. Why don't they know? Because none of its bones were, like, they were... Well, guess what? Oh, I don't know. They've only ever found tooth whorls, but they found tooth whorls up to 16 inches in diameter. And what is a tooth whorl? Like the saw blade in its mouth. Yeah, this is a thing, and it's mostly depicted as a shark-like creature, but it literally has a saw blade inside of its mouth. That is really the only way to describe it. And they've actually... Um, sort of reconstructed the jaw apparatus with a CT scanner so they sort of know what it looks like. But before we get into that, how big was this thing? Twice the size of a great white shark, up to 1,000 pounds and 30 feet long. Wow, and when did it live? It lived in the Permian, and it survived past the Permian extinction into the early Triassic. And when was, uh, when was the Permian? The Permian was 290 million years ago. But it's so right before Jurassic, which is when we saw... Triassic, oh, sorry, Triassic was when we saw the first dinosaurs. Yeah, like Coelophysis. Yeah, so the Permian actually ended with the largest extinction event in the Earth's history. In fact, all life on Earth almost died. 95% of life in the oceans died, and 70% of life on land almost died in the Permian extinction. How did land do better? I think um, that life on Pangaea, all the continents were one landmass called Pangaea, and uh, it was already an extremely harsh desert environment, and I just think that maybe things were more adapted to deal with the, the changing conditions. But the reason why 95% of life in the ocean died is because they suffocated when the oxygen in producing algae and things like that in the ocean died. Yeah. But we're gonna we're gonna do another episode on the extinction events where hopefully I'll know a little bit better answer for that in case I got any of that wrong. Yeah. And the ocean was one giant ocean called Panthalassia. Oh man, is that's what that's what surrounded Pangaea. We saw continental drift kick in later. 
So um, it, scientists right now think it was not actually a shark, but it was a chimera. Which was related to rays. Um, they say it's a predecessor, actually, of both rays and sharks, I discovered since I made these notes. And they call but, them ratfish or ghost sharks? Yeah, they share, they share a common ancestor with sharks. I don't think it looks like a rat or a ghost, so. <laughs> yeah, I like its depiction as a shark. But really, what this... When they reconstructed the jaw, so this thing has a saw blade inside its mouth. It has two bones, and it pushes its jaw up into a pocket. And why did it develop that? Why did it evolve something like that? So it can chop the sh shells of cephalopods like ammonites or nautiloids. Yeah, so basically it was a specialist that evolved in cracking the shells of gigantic six-foot-long shells that existed in the Permian yeah. Ocean. Some of them had like shells like a cone and some of them had like curly shells like a nautilus. So this is uh basically it was a it was a really scary looking uh shark like creature with a saw blade in its mouth and some people think that it would actually that saw could even after it snapped the the squid shell off and it had the squid in its mouth, some people think that that blade could actually rotate in as it was sucking the soft-bodied uh, squid out of the shell. The, the actual teeth would rotate in to help the squid go down its mouth. Isn't that yeah. crazy? All right. Well, um, for a long time, scientists were puzzled by how the uh, helicoprion actually looked. Dylan, describe some of the, the theories that people used to have about it. Some people think it came up from its nose like an elephant trunk. And some people think it came down from its mouth, like at the bottom of its mouth. And some people think it was like on its dorsal fin as like a whip. So if you if you look up Helicoprion on Google Images or something, you're going to see all sorts of wacky depictions of it. But the one you'll see the most is a saw blade in its mouth because... In, t in 2013, they used a CT scan to reveal the jaw apparatus from some old um, fossils and things. I did, but I'm just reiterating it that that's how they actually found it. Hey, gang, I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd encourage you to go over to prehistoricpodcast.com and check out the show notes. We always upload lots of cool facts and YouTube videos and things like that on each post, so hope to see you over there.